The energy transition is a long and winding road, and it needs to be taken step by step. Learn more at SiemensEnergy.com. This is Barron's Live. Each weekday, we bring you live conversations from our newsrooms about what's moving the market right now. On this podcast, we take you inside those conversations, the stories, the ideas, and the stocks to watch so you can invest smarter. Now, let's dial in. Welcome, everyone, to today's Barron's Live Market Watch edition. I am Rob Schroeder. I'm the VC Bureau Chief for Market Watch. Uh, and today, I am delighted to welcome our guest, who is Daniel Castro. He's the Vice President of the Information Technology and Innovation Foundation. Uh, so welcome, Daniel. Thanks, Rob. Great to be here. Great. So uh, let's let's jump right in. It's a big day, uh, as many days seem to be lately for AI. Um, but I want to start um, at the beginning, just with a couple definitions. So, so when Washington—that um, is to say, members of Congress, uh, regulators, and, and so on—when Washington talks about AI, what is it talking about? Um, is it Chat GPT, uh, self-driving cars, um, opening your phone with a Face ID? Uh, all of the above uh, or more? Yeah, well, I think certainly when some in Washington are talking about AI, they, they don't actually know what they're talking about. Um, but, you know, their AI has has just evolved so rapidly, right? The, the AI itself as a concept started uh, in the in the 1950s where there were, you know, the original computing and it was this, this branch of computer science that was really underappreciated that said, you know, can you develop computer systems that perform tasks that usually would require human intelligence. So it could be, you know, solving a puzzle, playing a game, um, you know, making some type of decisions. And that uh, concept has been around now, of course, for, like I said, you know, decades. Um, and AI has seen what they call um, AI springs and AI winters, where there was significant progress and then uh, long periods where no real development happened. Um, and it was only about you know a decade ago that it took off again with machine learning. Um, and machine learning really opened the doors to a lot of the types of AI systems uh, we have today, where it processes vast amounts of data um, using parallel processing, and it can draw insights um, that you couldn't do before. But then over the past you know last maybe two years or so, we've seen generative AI take off, and so these are AI systems that produce you know, original text, images, music, other types of media from simple user prompts. And so that type of AI is, I think, what's unleashed this new wave of um, both optimism uh, about the potential of the technology and then, of course, a lot of fear about where we might be going and the potential risk in this space. And I think that's where, um, you know, it's it becomes hard to draw the lines because on the one hand, someone might be talking about their concerns about deep fakes destroying democracy and then someone else is talking about, you know, self-driving cars and the risk there. And they're, they're not really the same risk, but they're all involve AI, so they get lumped together. Mm -hmm. So it, it's it's really as, as vast um, as it is topical uh, right now. Um, so what are some of the ways, Daniel, that, that Washington is envisioning dealing uh, with this technology? This is good timing because, um, as we were just discussing, um, Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer uh, just about an hour ago, unveiled what he called the uh, the safe innovation framework. Um, I think you you uh, watched that uh, that presentation. What were some of the things that stood out to you, and what what does this involve? 
Yeah, so uh, this was interesting because you don't usually see, you know, the Senate Majority Leader go all in on, on technology policy. Um, but here he's come out and said, you know, at, at a high level, he thinks AI is, is critically important. It's going to have a big impact on, um, on workers, on consumers, um, on our democracy, and that we need guardrails in place. Now, what I think is interesting is, you know, with this uh, safe accountability framework, he, he is recognizing that there are trade-offs between regulation and innovation. And so um, the, the acronym is SAFE, but SAFE and innovation. So it's uh, Security Accountability Foundations, which is, a I think, them trying to, they needed an F, but they really might mean, you know, does the AI align with democratic values? And then the E is explainability. Um, so, you know, in essence, what they're saying is as we move forward with AI, they want to make sure, yes, it's secure, that companies that are using it, they're accountable for any harms they might cause, that they're thinking about the implications of this technology on democracy, and that they're trying to you know, increase transparency in how these systems are used. And that came up, that was a big theme in, in his talk in terms of wanting to make sure that as these systems, and in this case, he was clearly talking about generative AI, mm -hmm. as they produce answers, that consumers are able to basically ask, you know, why did you give me this answer? And where did that answer come from? Um, so those are kind of the, the guardrails he's, he's talking about putting in place. Um, but after that safe part comes the innovation part. And so he did emphasize a few times that, you know, innovation needs to be part of this, that he's not looking to curtail innovation, that he's recognizing that, you know, the United States is in a global race with China uh, in terms of AI uh, development and deployment. Um, and so, you know, he's looking to find something that, that strikes a balance. Now, what that will be and whether it actually strikes a balance is still kind of up in the air. Um, he's proposed what he's calling this um, new foundation for AI policy, where there's, there's going to be this all-hands-on-deck approach. So bringing in lots of experts across various domains um, to do what he said would normally be years worth of policy making in only a few months. So he's saying time is of the essence. We need to move quickly. Um, and that's where things, of course, could go wrong. Uh, because moving quickly, one, isn't something Congress is great at, and two, when you move quickly, you don't always get things right, especially in this kind of fast-moving environment where the technology changes so rapidly, we have to make sure that we don't write rules that are backwards-looking instead of forwards-looking. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's there's a lot uh, in there to, to unpack, I think, in, in Senator Schumer's speech, and there's so many moving parts uh, and proposals that are out there um, already. Uh, in one case, there's a bill by... Um, Senators uh, Blumenthal and Hawley um, that would let AI companies be, be sued um, for spreading harmful content. Um, this, um, I think some of our viewers will recognize, it's about denying uh, so-called Section 230 protections. Um, are you familiar with this one? And what's the outlook for this one, you know, since it is bipartisan? Yeah, that's an interesting one. Um, there's been a number of bipartisan proposals to reform Section 230. So I think this, this kind of falls into that category. What's interesting to me about this one is that um, most, I think, legal experts that have looked at Section 230 don't actually think those protections apply to generative AI already, that they think uh, generative AI is already exempt from it. Um, because what Section 230 says is that, you know, um, you know, companies are not responsible for third party speech. So you're not responsible for the speech of your users. Facebook can't get sued for what I say on Facebook. Um, I can get sued for what I say on Facebook. Now, if uh, Facebook publishes something from Facebook communications, you know, their PR office, they can get sued for that. And so the question with generative AI is, you know, if you type in a question to 
uh, generative AI system and it comes back with an answer, um, is that third-party speech? And that's where I think most people are saying, no, it's, you know, open AI has produced this. Um, so it's not that they're quoting somebody else, they're not pulling in, you know, output from someone else. So they would be liable. Now what this bill from um, Senators Blumenthal and Holly would do is, is just make it very explicit in the law that generative AI, in fact, falls outside those protections. Um, so, you know, it, it's a it's a proposal that I think uh, might have uh, legs, uh, especially if, you know, Congress is looking to do something. But this is also one where it would likely, in effect, do nothing. Um, so, you know, there's there's going to be less momentum for something like that because people will say it's, it's ultimately inconsequential. Mm -hmm. Where it has an effect on users, though, is uh, right now search engines do have protections. So if you do go and go on Google and say, you know, uh, is this local, you know, uh, restaurant safe to eat at and somebody's put a review that's negative and the search engine returns that negative review, um, they're not liable. But if you tried to do that with ChatGPT, ChatGPT might be liable. And so there is a kind of an open question about what does this mean for the future of, of search with these types of technologies? Mm -hmm. I mentioned uh, a couple of senators, and I'd like to quote um, another one uh, who said that's Senator Ted Cruz uh, of Texas, Texas Republican. Um, he said last week that Congress, and I quote, doesn't know what the hell it's doing on regulating AI. Uh, this ties in with a question that we have from a viewer named Mark, um, who asks um, if you, Daniel, see issues um, with the level of knowledge held by the regulators, Mark says, uh, so far lagging behind the subject matter. I think we can apply that to Congress as well. And I wonder if Senator Cruz is right and who you think um, you know, has a high level of knowledge on this. Some of, some of uh, the players, I guess, if you will, uh, to watch uh, besides Senator Schumer and, and the others I've mentioned. Um, who should we be watching going forward? Sure, well, today, Senator Schumer, when he, he made his announcement and, and called for um, setting up a, a number of he said they bring together forums to mm -hmm. bring together these AI experts. Um, he said that process was going to be co-chaired um, not only by him, but also Senators Heinrich, Young, and Rounds. Um, but beyond that process, in the House, um, Senator, or, sorry, Representatives Eshoo and McCall um, are the current co-chairs of the AI, AI caucus, and, and they've been very involved in, in tech policy and, and AI now for a number of years. Um, that caucus has grown significantly uh, in the past year, as I think more members um, want to join and also just want to pay attention to their work. We've also seen um, Representative Ted Liu uh, speaking out about AI quite a bit. And he actually was on, um, I think, uh, a television program earlier this week. And he made the comment that, you know, a lot of members of Congress still don't understand the technology. Um, so kind of echoing that sentiment, um, but also that people are learning. Um, and his concern was that we don't want to race to pass new legislation because there's a risk that Congress will get it wrong and undoing bad AI legislation might be harder than kind of fixing, um, fixing bad AI. And so it's important that we don't rush the process. Um, so I think there's a, a number of members of Congress who, who are paying attention. They're, they are trying to learn it. Um, you know, there's various levels of depth to, to what that learning looks like. Some are just playing around with the technology. Mm -hmm. I, I talked to, I think one member who um, was was using it and said, you know, maybe he could get rid of his press secretary because of how well it could produce uh, press releases. So I think, you know, these are tools that, you know, can really be hands-on and, and people will get experience with. Um, at the same time, 
Um, the, the question that, that came in from, I think it was Mark, you know, was do regulators understand this? And, and I think regulators um, are paying attention in this space. It, it will vary by the regulator, yeah. but we've certainly seen agencies like the FDA, um, NHTSA, which looks at uh, transportation, you know, vehicle safety, they're paying very close attention to AI and the implication of automating um, more things, of, of using algorithms uh, in ways that affect uh, human health and, and livelihood. Um, and they're looking to make sure they understand the technology, they understand where the risks come. Um, they're trying to staff up with experts uh, in the technology. And so I think they're, they're all moving in the right direction. Um, eventually, hopefully, there'll be some you know, kind of information sharing and, and lessons learned that are that are shared across agencies. Because even though regulating an algorithm for healthcare is going to be different from regulating an algorithm for a self-driving vehicle, at the same time, they, they need to understand some of the, the basic principles of, for example, how do you actually go in and audit a system? Um, how do you measure risk? How do you um, do various types of assessments? So hopefully, there'll be more coordination in the future. And there is a kind of an executive order along those lines. We're just waiting to see how it actually plays out. Right. Um, I'd like to thank Mark for the question and encourage uh, other viewers to send them in as well. Um, Daniel uh, is aware of the uh, possibility of questions and we'll have more later on. Um, I wanted to say to the flip side, um, Daniel, to what we're talking about is what the industry has said about being uh, regulated. Sam Altman, um, of course, who heads OpenAI, uh, which created ChatGPT, um, recently told Congress that he's fearful AI could actually harm the world, and, and he said that you know regulation could be critical. Um, you know, do you think that that he's telling lawmakers kind of what they want to hear? Uh, do do other CEOs agree with him? Um, and and are there there must be limits uh, to the regulation that the industry would accept? So I wonder if you could kind of help us frame that a little bit. Absolutely. Um, I mean, first to the question about do CEOs, you know, fear that AI presents an existential risk. I think there was a poll recently that found that that is the minority view um, among, uh, you know, industry experts. Um, so, you know, I don't, I also in that share that view that AI is not about to, to kill us all, which I think is good news. Um, but there, there is a question kind of why is he saying that and, and what do they want? And I think one thing um, a lot of companies want is they don't want uh, many different jurisdictions all coming in with new regulations for AI, especially because it's such a, a novel technology. And even when you look at something like ChatGPT, that's you know one of the most widely adopted uh, technologies in human history in terms of like how quickly it, it was adopted. Um, you know, there's still a small company. The idea of complying with you know uh, regulations in you know 50 different countries, maybe at the, that's just the national level, then you have subnational. Uh, you know, state level in the U.S. and, and other jurisdictions, apply, complying with that many laws would break uh, would break these companies. They simply couldn't do it. Um, you would be left with a few of the the largest, um, you know, the Microsofts, um, Googles, Facebooks of the world, which is interestingly what you know some of the uh, competition regulators are saying they don't want. They want to see more competition in the space. But so there, there's this balance between how do you put safeguards in place um, without necessarily coming down and, and restricting innovation, restricting competition in this area. Um, so the reason I think, you know, um, Sam Altman and others are saying, you know, we need some kind of global regulation is because they're trying to sidestep national regulation. They're saying, can't, you know, the countries come together and just agree on a core set of principles, or can't we go through some kind of certification 
system or agree to some kind of you know voluntary you know body uh, uh, certification that would exempt us from going through you know jumping through so many regulatory hoops. So I think that's what's motivating um, a lot of that conversation. Um, and you know if you look at what's also been happening there, I mean um, OpenAI has pushed back, for example, on the EU's AI Act. So they're not just embracing all regulation. There are going to be limits to even what they want to accept. Um, I think for consumers, you know, and, and I look at this certainly from a consumer view often is, you know, how do I know that I'm getting technology that works? Um, and that's, you know, something that comes up um, in many cases. And, you know, the, the answer there is, I think some, some of this will take time. You know, we're going to have to wait to see the evidence that, that something works, that companies are reliable, that they're producing products that, um, you know, that deliver what consumers want, that are they're safe. Um, and that also over time, we're holding companies accountable if they if they deviate from that. Um, and that's something that fortunately, we do have a lot of regulations already on the books to handle. You know, we do have product safety uh, and product liability laws that we can apply even products that use AI. Um, we do have safety standards for medical devices. Um, and so the my hope is that we see regulators start building on the, the tools they already have in place to deliver on some of these goals. Great. Um, yeah, we'll get to the international part a little bit later on, um, Daniel. But first, I wanted to go to uh, an event that your organization, uh, again, the Information Technology uh, and Innovation Foundation um, recently held. Um, and it asked the question, which was very topical here, does the U.S. need a new AI regulator? Uh, so I imagine that means it's a new agency, a new body, a, a new panel, or what have you. Um, so can uh, can you walk us through uh, the arguments for those um, pro and con? Yeah. So the arguments in favor, and this came up at that hearing <clears throat> with um, Sam Altman, was a number of legislators were asking, you know, should we just create a new agency to handle this? That it doesn't seem like there is one agency designed for this, and there's not, um, who can who can just look at all of AI and um, regulate these companies and, and to the concerns that you know, technology might be getting out of control and might get in the hands of, of people who maybe shouldn't be using it. There's even the proposal of should we license it? You know, should we require a company to have a license before they can develop the technology or bring it to market? Um, and in that way, control uh, how it's being used. Um, there's also been proposals, for example, to um, require that the certain products be you know, certified before they come to market to require that they uh, you know, disclose if they're producing, if something's AI generated. And so all of this can be managed through some kind of regulator. Um, the arguments in favor that you know, the existing regulators either don't have the authority or don't have the resources uh, to do this, um, often that they don't have the expertise. Um, and you know, the, the, of course, critique to that is that, well, wait a second, you know, um, this is just a, a tool like any other tool, like a computer or a spreadsheet. Um, and we don't, you know, we didn't create an agency to regulate computers. We didn't create an agency to regulate spreadsheets. Um, we really want existing regulators to use their subject matter expertise in these different areas. So, you know, uh, financial services, you know, they already are trying to look for um, risk in the financial sector. Um, they're trying to, you know, detect fraud. Um, they have tools in place to do that. They have expertise on how to do that. They now need to learn how to how to do that um, in a world where AI exists. And so the the con side and the critique to that proposal is to say, wait a second, no, we don't need um, you know one new AI regulator. We need all the regulators to understand AI, just like they have to understand 
computers and they have to understand anything else that kind of changes our world. And so I think that's where the tension is. Um, the, the critics will say, well, we got new regulators for um, you know, radio, for rail, for other types of historic technologies. Right. Um, but you know, the, the response to that is usually, um, those were often uh, single monopolies too. Um, and so sometimes you had a regulator just because there was a monopoly. It's not clear, one, that this will be a monopoly. Uh, and two, um, even if it is limited to a, a certain number of companies, um, you know, uh, regulation from a central regulator just might not be the, the best path forward. Um, and so that's where the debate's locked in. We haven't actually seen um, any real concrete proposals. There's been a proposal for a digital regulator, um, but nothing that's really kind of gained traction yet. Right. This this gets into, uh, for example, the FTC, the Federal Trade Commission, uh, the chair, Lena Khan, uh, recently said that her agency is uh, well-equipped uh, to handle uh, issues in the industry, but monopolization, price discrimination. Um, so that's where you have the existing regulator already saying that you know, it can it can do its job. I, I think that's what you're talking about on the one side of the argument. Right, and it wasn't just Lena Khan too. We also saw, you know, um, Department of Justice, um, the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, and EEOC all come out and say they are paying attention to this. You know, it's um, it would actually be, I think, uh, very naive to think that they weren't. Um, and so, it's, I mean, it's good that they came out and said this. They also kind of, you know, basically made the point that. They have tools now that they're not just sitting on the sidelines asking Congress for new authority. They're using the, the resources they have to already look into how AI is being used and how they can ensure they're you know, doing their job, protecting consumers, enforcing civil rights, um, you know, ensuring that um, there aren't uh, you know, abuses against consumers in the financial services sector. Um, so all of that, I think, is, is good news. Um, but you know, we still have to pay attention. You know, the technology changes quickly. And we need to see, are there any gaps? And if there are, where can we fill those in? Right. I have a number of colleagues um, here at MarketWatch who, who write about AI. It feels like an all hands on deck kind of a moment uh, because it, it uh, crosses so many different beats and, uh, and boundaries and companies and so on. And I was talking uh, with her a bit about um, the six month pause uh, on AI development that Elon Musk and some others had called for. Uh, is there any way uh, that you can see Washington uh, getting involved with such a thing, or does such a thing even have legs to begin with, or is it is it kind of a pie in the sky idea? Yeah, it's it's an idea that I think has has quickly started to crater, um, even though it had this kind of celebrity endorsement from Elon Musk and a few others. The reality is there's no way to, to pause this globally. So at best, you know, some companies might sit on the sidelines and those that don't um, would be advancing. In particular, there's concern about what this would mean in terms of the competition between the United States and China. Right now, uh, most observers think that the United States is, you know, at least six months ahead in terms of the large language models that have been developed. Um, and so sitting on the sidelines for six months would only give China a chance to, to catch up and potentially um, get ahead in this, in this space. So I don't think it will happen, um, certainly not in the commercial space. Um, and then, you know, separately, there's there's a question about how this is being used in the defense space, intelligence community. They're not looking at this on the sidelines either. Um, so I, I don't think it's going to happen. Um, that said, it, you know, the, the questions that keep coming up in terms of how quickly the technology is advancing um, 
parallel to me some of the debate that we saw, you know, in the 90s, for example, around encryption, where you had this really powerful encryption that was, you know, beyond the capabilities of what um, law enforcement and the intelligence community had. And, and they were very nervous about these changes and what that meant for them, that suddenly they wouldn't be able to, you know, read lots of communication. We're still having some of that debate, but what they tried to do is basically, you know, limit export of encryption technology above a certain um, key length. And so the question is, this can come up here, I think is, you know, is there some AI that is so advanced that the US government tries to maybe limit its export or limit who has access to it? Um, we're seeing debate right now around limiting China from accessing, you know, US IP around semiconductors and chips. You know, you could certainly envision this expanding um, to touch more and more on AI in the future. And that becomes difficult um, when we're talking about some of these systems that are open source, um, they're open source models. And so you're not able to necessarily restrict them in a traditional way. Uh, so I think that's where the debate's more likely to be headed than whether or not we have any kind of six month pause. If anything, I think Congress is likely to put more money into AI R&D um, as they recognize that this is just an essential part of, of America's future. Right. Okay. We have only about uh, five minutes left, Anna. This is this has been wonderful. I, I do want to get to a couple of questions though um, about the international outlook. Um, so Karen uh, and Andrea, a couple of viewers, um, have have written in about um, how AI is global uh, with many purveyors. Um, Andrea is talking about how the EU passed um, the AI Act. Um, so of course, you know, the U.S. is not alone uh, when it comes to regulating AI. This was just last week. Uh, when the European Parliament passed the AI Act. Um, it would do things including cur curtail facial recognition software, uh, require ChatGPT uh, to disclose more about what data was used to create the programs. Um, is this something that, uh, two questions, is this something that you can see happening in the U.S.? And, and why, I think, is Europe acting faster than, than Washington on this, on this subject? Yeah, well, let me start with the, the second part. Um, you know, Europe started, you know, with the AI Act in, I think, 2018. Um, they uh, really, you know, outlined this vision for regulating AI. And this was before, you know, the debate about generative AI. You know, this was focused really on the kind of the machine learning, this, you know, um, AI debates that were happening back in, in 2012, 2013. Um, and so in some ways, they saw themselves as being late. They had seen machine learning take off for five years and said, you really need to do something about it. Um, and nobody else, you know, around the world said they needed to regulate machine learning. Um, now, what's happened is that um, as generative AI has taken off, they've kind of gone back to their initial text and inserted generative AI into it to make clear that they're trying to regulate all these, you know, this new AI technology as well. And you know, that's the I think that's the real critique with Europe's approach is that um, they are moving um, before they really even understand the technology. Um, we saw Italy, uh, you know, initially ban ChatGPT because of concerns that conflicted with GDPR. Um, you know, we've seen, um, you know, even even now concerns that um, with the you know EU's AI Act, um, some of this technology might not be able to be deployed there. Um, technology that I think a lot of people are already using today, and so you know, to the question, would the U.S. do it? I I don't think they would do it in quite the same way. One, we're likely to take a sectoral approach to regulating AI. So not talking about regulating um, ChatGPT as this kind of foundation technology as they're doing in Europe, but saying, okay, if you're using it to deliver 
answers to somebody in a healthcare context, it has to meet certain requirements. I mean, I think that's probably what the US would be more likely to do. I also doubt that they're going to want to put in place such dramatic restrictions on an American company um, because you know that would limit its ability to, to scale globally. And I, I just don't see that as um, something that's likely in, in the near term. Um, but that you know also reflects one of the biggest differences between the US and Europe. Um, Europe doesn't really have these same AI companies to protect. So that's one of the reasons it's it's willing to kind of be more strict and um, you know in, in its proposals. That's also one of the reasons it's willing to impose such significant fines on these companies um, because it's really fining American companies, um, you know, billions of dollars. And so, you know, that's where there's this kind of geopolitical tension about what comes next. Um, the U.S. is working with Europe on this um, EU-U.S. Trade and Technology Council where they're trying to not harmonize their regulations, but at least work together on AI in some ways. And so that might be more data sharing. Um, it might be kind of interoperability in some of these technical standards around AI. We haven't seen exactly what it will look like, um, but hopefully at least be a little bit more of a, a meeting of the minds and how Europe and the United States can work together um, on this technology. Thanks, Daniel. My last question was going to be about um, um, President Biden and Prime Minister Sunak of the, of the UK. They recently met. Um, uh, they uh, announced that Britain would host a summit this fall on global coordinated action. Uh, I was just going to ask what that might look like and what, what we might expect out of it for my last question. Sure, well, I think you know um, the UK, uh, they want to have a seat at the table in the AI policy debate. Um, they're certainly, you know, uh, you know, when they were part of the EU, they were the part of the EU that was doing the most in terms of AI development. And post-Brexit, um, they're a little bit on the sidelines because they're not involved in you know, drafting the EU AI Act. They're not involved in this. Uh, Trade and Technology Council, um, and even though they're a big market, they're still you know relatively smaller compared to China and the United States. Um, and so I think they see this um, kind of uh, they've taken a pro innovation approach to AI. Um, they came out with this white paper recently that said they they want to see it deployed, they want to work with regulators, but they also want to see safeguards in place. So I think they're trying to position themselves as kind of a, a middle ground between maybe the U.S.'s more laissez-faire approach and the EU's more top-down regulation and position themselves as a potential, you know, global resource certifier, you know, uh, leader in, in, in bridging that divide. Um, whether that will actually happen, I think we, we're going to have to wait and see if anything actually uh, concrete comes out of this, this upcoming conference. Um, but that's what they're trying to do. And certainly, you know, they should be a, a partner with the U.S. as well, um, because they are looking to, to leverage this technology. And they're, uh, I think, kind of a, a counterweight to maybe that Brussels effect that we see in, in so much of tech policy, uh, where Brussels really sets the rules of the road and the US doesn't have a voice. I think working together, the US has some great allies out there, uh, not only the UK, but also India, Japan, Singapore. Um, they're looking to be leaders in this technology as well um, and can provide kind of an alternative voice that isn't saying, you know, we'll do whatever Brussels says, um, but let's work together in, in creating, you know, appropriate safeguards to balance innovation um, with, uh, you know, responsible consumer protection. Thank you, Daniel. Yeah, I just want to get to one um, more question before we sign off from uh, Robert, who's who's also watching. But Daniel, I think you addressed it. He's he's saying since AI is a worldwide technology, um, that the regulations implemented in the U.S. Uh, he's he's questioning their effectiveness, and he's wondering if a global body like the United Nations might be a, a better place to draft um, 
regulation. So I think that would go even above and beyond uh, what you're discussing, which is country to country or uh, maybe within the G7. But uh, I don't even know, honestly, in answer to Robert's question, if uh, the UN has discussed this, uh, but maybe you do. They have actually the yeah the UN Secretary General General came out um, recently with some remarks around the need for kind of global regulation. Um, again, I think trying to position you know uh, lots of regulators are basically trying to say, um, hey, if we're going to do something, I'd like to be involved. And so the UN is is not sitting on the sidelines either. Um, but it's it's to me this is similar to the internet, right? Where um, the internet's a global technology. There's no one regulator um, yet. There are lots of bodies that have. Um, various types of oversight, um, including, you know, um, you have ICANN, you know, the International Corporation for Assigned Names and Numbers, which is this multi-stakeholder forum for coordinating between countries and, and companies and, and users, um, how we manage, you know, IP addresses and domain names. Um, so I think something similar will happen to AI, the, but the reality is no country is going to just step aside and say, we're not going to regulate this. So I don't see a global body kind of usurping that um, that authority. Uh, and that's where this question about coordination and interoperability will be essential because what we don't want to have is, are just, you know, layers and layers and layers of uh, regulation for an emerging technology um, that will, that will simply crush it. Um, and we won't, we won't see it being used effectively. And we'll also see, you know, you see kind of, um, you know, innovation around regulation sometimes um, where, you know, right now everyone wants to be associated with AI, uh, if you're going to see a venture uh, capital, because you know that's the, that's the best way to raise money, it's the best way to get attention for your product, um, suddenly there'll be no AI. If, if you have AI, you're regulated. Uh, companies will just say that's, that's no longer what they're doing. Um, so I think that's, you know, that's where we have to strike the balance. Okay. Um, well, Daniel, thanks. I think that's a, a good place to wrap up. Uh, thank you very much for, for joining us, um, and especially too, thanks to everyone in the audience for tuning in and asking your questions. Um, so before I go, I would like to remind our viewers to join the next episode tomorrow uh, on annuities and retirement. And that's going to feature Barron's deputy editor, Alex Yule, and senior writer, Al Root. They're gonna have a discussion about the current state of autonomous driving um, and how far uh, we've come and where we're headed next. Um, so thanks everyone uh, for listening. Uh, have a good day. The energy transition is a long and winding road, and it needs to be taken step by step. Learn more at SiemensEnergy.com.